0: Good morning, Mosaic family. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. If you're new to Mosaic, we are so glad that you're here with us. As a church, Mosaic exists to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the Word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision, if you'd like to get connected to the life of our church through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Mosaic to 97000 and we'll follow up with you this week. And now as we get ready to worship through singing. As always, we just want to remind you that children are always welcome with us in service. We also have a kids ministry for kids birth through fifth grade where they will have a time of worship and gospel-centered Bible teaching that is age appropriate, as well as a nursing mother's room just outside the lobby should little ones get hungry or restless. Again, we're so glad you're here today. Let's worship Jesus together. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt Davidson. I'm the student ministry leader here at Mosaic. And you all might be wondering right out the gate, where is the lead pastor, Tad Anderson, this morning? Um, well, unfortunately, Tad has come down with some kind of stomach sickness, and so he's not able to be here with here with us this morning. Uh, so we should definitely be praying for his recovery and his return soon. Um, and I am going to be filling in for this sermon this morning. Um, Now, as many of you are aware, we've been in a sermon series titled, What Do Christians Think About? Blank, and then we fill in the blank. And where we've been filling in the blank is because this is a sermon series where topics have been selected based off of what you, as the body of Christ, have requested for Tad to teach on. And as far as I know, the topic that I'm going to teach on this morning is not a topic that you all have requested, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, But for real, this morning... Uh, I'm going to preach on a topic that I have been growingly burdened by as I've been examining my own life and examining how people in our culture live their lives and how some of that has permeated into my own life. And honestly, it's in the lives of the church in ways that quite frankly scares me. And I think that God, through his word, graciously wants to call us out of and away from The things that have permeated into our lives. And instead, he wants to call us towards himself to have a fuller life, which is ultimately a life that is pleasing to him, glorifying to him, and totally surrendered to him. So the topic that the Lord has led me to teach you all this morning is what I've been recently walking the students through. And some of you have been going through this in your community groups. And it happened to be a topic that I was wrestling a lot with in my life um, as I was teaching the students through it. And it's the topic of idolatry. Church, the reality is that any of us this morning, regardless of where we are at in our walks, we need the reminders and the warnings of this topic on idolatry. Because this topic of idolatry is simple to understand, yes, but I think that it is difficult to apply truly getting away from idolatry and true repentance of idolatry. But yet, it is so crucial that we flee from it and repent of it, and then we acknowledge the idolatry in our own lives, and we run away from it and seek shelter in God. We seek our fullness from God, not seeking to be filled by the things that this world has to offer So before I dive in any more on this topic this morning, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to be here with us this morning and to speak to us through his word so that he would open our eyes to his glory and the truths that are found in his word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for giving us a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. God, you are so gracious and deeply loving, so gracious because if we trust in you, you give us such a great and precious gift of eternity with you. And we are so undeserving, God, and it only magnifies your goodness that we're given the gift of eternal life. God, I ask that you would make us a people that are shaped by your word, that are filled with your word, and that we would be a people who are on fire for you and for your will to be done in our lives and in this church and in this city. God, we need a revival. We need you to convict us in ways that we might not even see and open our eyes to the reality of the urgency of your kingdom. That there is an urgency to live for you, God. Father, I know in my own life, I do not live for you as I ought, and I do not long for you as I ought. So God, please make me and make these people a people who live urgently for you. God, we need you, and we cannot do this on our own. And so I ask now that as I speak, I would become nothing in this place and that you would become everything in this place, God, that you would open our eyes to the truths that you are trying to say to us and that we would respond God, please increase as I decrease. And would you speak now? It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Amen. So this morning, I wanted to talk about a plague. It's a plague that is in our culture. And I think that this plague has infiltrated Christ's church. Many of his followers, who I believe are genuine servants of him, who are born again by the blood-bought promises of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we suffer from a plague, a sickness that is spreading from the world and it's permeating into the church. And it's a plague of idolatry. But here's the worst part it's like how COVID can infect somebody for days without them even realizing that they're sick. I think we too can be infected by this plague for days, for weeks. For months and even years, all the while it grows, all the more, even as believers, and we maybe even never wake up to the reality that it's there. This sickness has silently, subtly, and covertly infected us too, especially here in the American church. So I don't think we realize that we are all infected down to our hearts with idolatry and that we struggle with the sin of idolatry, or at least we do not realize that we struggle with it as much as we actually do. So in order for us to be able to understand how idolatry is permeating into our hearts and lives, we must first understand what God has to say about it. And a very crucial biblical text regarding idolatry is when God gives the people of Israel a command not to commit the sin of idolatry. So as we examine this topic this morning, let's start there. Start in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. So this is God saying this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now, I didn't read all of verse 5 for the sake of time, but what we just read gives us what we need to understand and properly grasp the foundation of the topic of idolatry. Now, there are many places in the Bible that refer to this act of making something and worshiping it or bowing down to something that is already made as idolatry. There's many places in Scripture that refers to that. But before I unpack idolatry anymore, let me define it for you in a way that might seem more applicable to us today— Maybe more than making carved images like, um, and it might apply more to us today. So here's your first point in your notes. What is idolatry? Idolatry is a sin that we commit where we desire, value, and love anything more than God. Idolatry is not only making carved images. It's a sin that can be in our hearts that we commit where we desire, value, and love anything more than we love God. We can see this in our text that I just read where it says, we are not to bow down to the man-made things of this world or serve them. You might wonder, well, how does that apply to me? Well, I would ask you to consider how we define serving things or bowing down to them. To me, this doesn't only mean that we physically bow down to things, although I think it can mean that, But to me, bowing down to something and serving something can be done even if it's just in our hearts. It doesn't have to only be physically bowing down to something. And I would even go so far to say that what we are serving or bowing down to can oftentimes be seen by examining what we are spending time on. And I think that when we look at these verses in light of that, we likely realize that we are guilty of various forms of idolatry that whenever we bow down to and serve man-made things by spending excessive time on them, we are guilty of idolatry because we, we commit the sin in our hearts of desiring, valuing, and loving any of these things more than we love God. And I want to caution us not to think that just because we aren't making carved images today for ourselves and we don't bow down to physical statues and worship them, that we are not deeply guilty of idolatry. In fact, I would even go further and say that I think the idolatry we struggle with in our culture is actually far more deceptive and destructive to us because it's easier to compare ourselves to other people in our culture rather than comparing ourselves to what God's Word says. But the thing is, what we struggle with today is still the sin of idolatry, even if it's not us making carved images. There are many ways that idolatry can express itself. We can idolize relationships. We can idolize people, compliments from people, a dream job or a good retirement and be chasing that. We can idolize money and possessions and all sorts of things. But the form of idolatry that I would like to speak most to this morning is largely how we are spending time in various areas of our lives. And the tension I see in my own heart is that I realize how deceived I am by my own idolatry. A while back when I was preparing a sermon for students um, that I preached in student ministry, I looked up some statistics on how people spend their time uh, in order to help put things into perspective for the students. And let me just say, the numbers were startling. I found that most Americans spend at least three to five hours a day watching TV. And I don't know about you, but I've gotten sucked into that at times too. I think about over this past year, even, I've gotten sucked into shows and movies at times, and they were good, sure, but they weren't eternal. They're not eternal. And that's time that I could have spent doing more for the kingdom rather than wasting away for an hour in front of something and spending more time on the things of the Lord rather than settling for something easier and more comfortable like watching shows, more than maybe I'm spending time with the Lord. Furthermore, the average number for all leisure activities in 2021 for people ages 15 to 54 was over five hours a day, over five hours a day on personal leisure decisions and personal leisure activities. And this statistic that I found was allegedly not including mobile device consumption. It was only including sports, TV, reading, board games, video games, and things like that. And it was still over five hours a day. And mobile device usage was an insane number all on its own, and its average was about four and a half hours sprinkled throughout the day on top of all these other leisure activities that the average person in that age range is spending. And you know what startled me the most was how much of that leisure time was spent socializing with people. It was only 30 minutes a day. How are we going to obey Jesus and fulfill the Great Commission and share the gospel with people, which requires socializing with people if we're only spending 30 minutes a day with them, out of the hours of the free time that we have? And we might say and might think that we don't struggle with idolatry, but we are possibly spending hours a day doing tons of things in our free time, while if we are honest, sometimes we are likely only spending minutes during our day with God. How is that not idolatry? Something is wrong here, church, and something has got to change. But the good news of the gospel is that something can change. We don't have to settle for these patterns of living like our culture does because we're not called to live like culture. We're called to live like Christ. We don't compare ourselves to the world or even other Christians because our standard is Christ himself. We can't keep making ourselves feel better and justify how we spend our time by looking at those around us because if we look at the Bible, specifically the book of Acts, I think we'll realize that we are off and that something needs to change. We'll see the early church spending all sorts of their time on things that really last and really matter rather than spending so much time on the things of this world that we so often seem to fall into patterns of. Myself is included in that. I fear that these statistics are the result of how idolatry has permeated into our hearts and our lives, and we might not even be aware of just how deep it goes. So this leads me to my second point this morning. Idolatry has infiltrated our lives way more than we would like to admit and way more than we likely realize. Idolatry has infiltrated our lives way more than we would like to admit and way more than we likely realize. Now, you might be wondering, okay, I see what you're saying about idolatry and how we're guilty of it and how it's infiltrated our hearts more than we might even realize, but what do we do about that? First, we need God to convict our hearts and open our eyes to the wasted time on things that will not last. Most of these things that we're all guilty of spending way too much time on will not last. The things that we're spending our time on oftentimes will not last. Only the things that are for Christ are going to last. Now, I'm not saying that the alternative is to forsake all screens and media and only go sit in a corner by ourselves and read and pray. It's not what I'm saying. We should desire to spend more time and Um, spend more time with God in his word and with him in prayer. And I know for myself, I desire to spend more time in those things and grow in that still. But what if we considered forsaking time on media and spending more time on obedience to God's word? Not just sitting in a prayer corner, reading and praying, but actually obeying and carrying out what God's word says to do. There's a difference. Namely, obedience to the great commission to go make disciples and the great commandments of loving God and loving others? Why don't we spend more of our free time on friendships with people in order to share the gospel with them, rather than coming home, sitting down, and filling ourselves with some sort of media or leisure activity? Why don't we spend more time inviting each other over to our homes to spend time together as brothers and sisters from this church? Why aren't we spending more time investing in people that are around us People from work or sports activities or neighbors, where we invite them into our homes to try to share the gospel with them. Why aren't we spending more time discipling children? Why don't we spend more time together pointing each other to Christ and filling each other with the gospel message rather than filling ourselves with TV shows that exemplify an American dream which has absolutely no lasting value in eternity? So much time on media seriously has no lasting value in our lives. And really other than consuming our minds and distracting us for a moment, it doesn't offer us anything that lasts more than that moment. The sad thing that I'm convicted about is that we all likely can talk about a myriad of stuff about whatever it is that we're watching or things that we're reading outside of the Bible or whatever we have going on in this or that or whatever we're doing in our lives, but in the same way, Could we answer with just as much excitement, joy, and passion for what you're reading about in God's Word, or what you're learning about from Him, who you're pleading for in prayer, who you're spending your free time with, either to disciple them or share the gospel with them? I know I feel convicted that there are things that I want to talk a lot about and could talk a lot about and be passionate about, and they aren't going to last They aren't things about God, and they they aren't um, about his word and what he wants for my life. So I'm convicted that I get passionate about a lot of things that aren't eternal. And not to dwell on screens and media so much, but unless we are mostly intaking um, media that has some sort of biblical content or value, media will not help us be steadfast for Christ while we live on this earth. Media will not help us be more effective at sharing the gospel with people unless we're listening to things that teach us how to share the gospel. We need to wake up and realize how much idolatry is all throughout our culture and how much it's infiltrated us too. Therefore, it's no surprise that the scriptures speak about this topic of idolatry over and over again because I think God's word is trying to reveal to us that idolatry isn't something that only the people in biblical times struggled with when they worship statues, And it isn't something that only people from other countries who worship carved images struggle with. But instead, it's also something that we are struggling with, too. And I don't know if you have realized the emptiness in a lot of the things of this world, but God keeps showing me that there is nothing better than him. There is nothing that is more satisfying than him. Nothing is worth living more for than him. And I have never ended up being disappointed when I spend my life on God and the things that he's concerned with. But I have always been disappointed when I've spent more time on the things of this world rather than spending more time with him and for him. Mm -hmm. Now, for a moment, something may seem better or feel better in that moment than God does. But from my experience, nothing actually ends up being better. There is no greater joy, happiness, or fullness or satisfaction that is better or that is more than God is. Other things may bring some sort of deceptive goodness for a moment, but in the end, after it's all said and done, it will bring extreme pain to us, and it will only leave our hearts with emptiness and conviction. And this leads us into our next text this morning, which is going to be found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 and 10. So here Isaiah is saying, all who fashion idols are nothing and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? So Isaiah is saying a lot of things here that we've already identified about idolatry. He's saying that idolatry is delighting in something that doesn't profit anything. In other words, idolatry doesn't have any lasting value. It doesn't really profit or gain us anything in this life now, and it certainly doesn't profit or gain us anything in eternity. Isaiah affirms a point that I've already made so far where he says that their witnesses, meaning those that commit the idolatry, can neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. To translate that for you, Isaiah is saying, idolatry has infiltrated people so much that they can't even see or know how much they're going to be put to shame or disappointed and left empty by the very idolatry that they're committing. Do we see this? Do we feel the weight of the worthlessness of idolatry, the emptiness that it has? Look at what Isaiah says next. He says, who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? A translation of that basically means that committing idolatry has no lasting value, absolutely zero value. It's not worth anything. And this leads me into my next point in your notes, that idolatry may give temporary satisfaction, but it cannot give lasting fullness to life. Only Christ can do that. Idolatry may give temporary satisfaction, but it cannot give lasting fullness to our lives, because only Christ can do that. Like I said, idolatry may give an illusion or appearance of giving satisfaction or fullness, but it doesn't actually deliver, because it can't actually deliver. Only Christ can truly provide lasting fullness to this life now, and he's the only one who, if we trust and surrender our lives to him, that we will be given an eternity that will be far better than anything we have ever experienced before or ever could in this life now. And what God has helped me realize is that idolatry is really like a food, such as ice cream, right? It looks appealing and seems appetizing, and that makes you crave it. But then when you eat it, you're still left with being hungry, or oftentimes just feeling sick to your stomach with pain, or is that just me? Um, And did I just publicly confess eating too much ice cream this morning, because that's awkward. Um, But for real, idolatry is like ice cream, where we're lured by its appearance, and then we actually get a hold of it and we aren't fully satisfied. We either just crave more, like, like I do when I eat ice cream, Or we feel the pain of it and realize that that was not a good choice for us, also like I do when I eat ice cream. So, um, (laughs) Confessions of ice cream, I guess, really is the real idolatry, huh? Uh, So what do we do in response to this dangerous and damaging plague of idolatry? Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us what we should do in response to our idolatry, when we're faced with it and tempted by it in our lives, or what to do even when we're just aware of it in our lives. And the particular verse that I want to draw our attention to about what to do in response to idolatry is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. You don't have to turn there. I mean, you can if you want. Um, I'm just gonna read it. It's really short. Which says that we are to flee from idolatry. We are to flee from idolatry. Which is basically a summarizing point of uh, the next point that I have for your notes, which says that we must acknowledge our idolatry, confess it to God, and flee from it. We must acknowledge our idolatry Confess it to God and flee from it. You might be wondering, what does flee actually mean? And it's amazing to me because the Greek word for flee in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14, literally means to seek safety by running away from something. Church, are we doing this with the idolatry in our lives? Do we run away from it as if it were bad for us and can damage us or hurt us? Because the reality is idolatry can, it can hurt us. It's like a fire that we can't touch or play with. John Owen, who was a theologian some time ago, refers to sin as a fire that is trying to burn a house down. He says something to the effect that you can't just tell the fire to stay there and don't burn anything else, okay? Nor could you touch it and hold it and try to contain it to a certain area. You can't do that because it'll burn the house down and it would burn you if you try to contain it yourself. So the, the only option is to run out of the house that is burning down and run away to safety before the fire destroys the whole house. And church, so it is with idolatry for us. We can't control it and try to handle it or keep it in its place because it will burn us, and we can't tell it to stop burning things or just stay where it's at. So instead, we must flee from it and get out and seek safety by getting out of the house running away from the fire so it doesn't consume us. We can't play games with it or try to control it. And instead, the Bible says that our only course of action in First Corinthians 10, 14, is to flee. The only course of action that the scriptures give is to flee idolatry. So to summarize a couple of things just to track where we're at. So, so far we've identified what idolatry is, and it's when our hearts commit the sin of desiring or valuing or loving something over God, And I also hope that God has revealed to us ways that we might be committing idolatry in our own lives. How we spend our time and how much our culture influences us to spend our time, and how idolatry has infiltrated our lives way more than we maybe even realize or would like to admit. We've also seen how God's word is trying to instruct us that idolatry cannot give any lasting value, but instead, only Christ can do that. So therefore, we must flee from it. But if we're fleeing from idolatry, and running away from that, what's the thing that we should be running towards? I'm glad that you asked that, because it is crucial that we don't flee from one idolatry and then run straight towards another form of idolatry. It's so easy to do. Instead, we must be intentional that once we begin to flee from an idolatry that we identify and confess to God, we must ensure that we want re- we run this is a bad tongue twister straight to Christ and fill ourselves with the things of Him rather than just other things from this world. And thankfully, Jesus tells tells us exactly what is more profitable than anything that this world has to offer. And he tells us so in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. You're probably familiar with it. You can turn there, you can read on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus is saying... If anyone would come after me. And in other words, in the context of our lesson, if anyone would come to me and turn and flee from idolatry and follow after me. Jesus then says, What to do? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Which, in the context of idolatry, basically means denying our desires to live for ourselves rather than to live for God. It's saying no to our desires to value and spend more time with something other than things that pertain to God. Jesus goes on to say, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and in the end forfeit his soul? Which in other words means, what is the whole point to gain the whole world and everything in it or anything that we could have ever wanted from the world, but in the end we will lose everything if we don't live for something more? something that has lasting value. And the only thing that has lasting value is the full life that only Christ can provide us, both in this life now and in eternal life to come. So I think Christ is calling us to something big in this passage, and it's the final point that I have for you in your notes this morning. We must surrender to Christ and seriously reorient our lives to urgently spend more time living for the things of Christ rather than the things of this world. Our lives call for a serious reorientation of how we're spending our time. We need to do this urgently, church. We need to correct this as if it's affecting us right now and if it matters right now because it does. Eternity is at stake for us and for a lot of people. He's calling us to surrender to him more and to seriously reorient our lives to spend our time with him and living for him more than we're living for the things of this world. Church, I think something needs to change. Something needs to change in how we spend our time. I see how things need to change in how I spend my own time. And even how my heart at times just wants to spend time on things that don't matter. I think that Jesus is trying to teach us that the person who denies what they desire in this life now and instead lives for what Christ desires, that they will have such a fullness to their life that nothing in this world could ever offer or compare to. And Christ tells us in Luke chapter 14, verse 33 that if we want to be his disciple and follow after him, we must renounce all that we have. And the Greek word for renounce does not mean what it might sound like where you just like give up everything you have, although it can mean that. But the Greek word for renounce literally means to reorient and reprioritize things and put them in their proper order and places. What Jesus meant by that is that we are to reprioritize our entire lives so that we are spending more time on the things that have eternal value and a lasting profit, which is the profit and gain of having eternity with Christ, rather than spending our time on worldly things and worldly idols that profit absolutely nothing. I believe that if we reprioritized our lives and put things in their proper places and sought to live more undividedly for eternal things, and if we fled from idolatry more... Then I think our lives would look closer to the early church in Acts, where we read about extreme devotion to the gospel, and believers giving so much away, so much of their stuff away, and spending so much time on making disciples and being discipled, and how how believers were spending so much time on the word and prayer, rather than our lives. If we're honest, looking closer to most American homes, and how they might spend their time, I hope that we would be a church that looks closer to the church in Acts rather than average American person. And so as I kind of draw to a close in this sermon this morning, I wanted to be pretty vulnerable with you about what I see in my own heart in hopes that it will lead us all to examine our lives and to always be reorienting our lives more and more around Christ until he calls us home. So as I close, I wanted to share with you all an instance that happened to me a couple months ago, not too long before I left, I guess, yeah, it was a couple months ago, not too long before I left for India. And to paint the picture for you, I was sitting at the kitchen table in my house And in my house, the living room is like a great room type of room, so the table is within earshot of whatever is going on on the TV. And I was working on some stuff that was important and needed to get done, but then I heard that a football game had come on, and my heart was instantly like, ooh, what's that going on over there, right? And I wonder what's going on, you know, I wonder if it's going to be a good football game or whatnot. But in that moment, I was instantly convicted by God about something, and since then, I have not been able to stop wrestling with God about all the things that I've been preaching about this morning. I was instantly convicted about my heart was more excited and more passionate and more interested about that football game than my heart was and my mind was in my time with the Lord that morning. I wasn't as excited to get into God's Word that morning. I wasn't as excited as I was to get to the TV for the football game that afternoon, and I haven't been able to stop wrestling with the question, is God pleased with my life? Was God pleased with me in that moment? Is he pleased with my desires of how I want to spend my time or how I am spending my time? Is God pleased by my heart getting more excited about TV rather than being more excited about him that day? And I think the answer is clear that God isn't pleased by my life in the way that I would want Him to be. Now, I know that God is only truly pleased with us when He sees that we are covered by the blood of Christ and when He's passing over our sins because of what Christ already did for us on our behalf when He died on the cross. But I'm not talking about that kind of God being pleased with us, not talking about salvation God being pleased with us and the blood of Christ covering us. Instead, I'm talking about something that Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. He says that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him, bearing, uh, bearing fruit in our good works and increasing in our knowledge of God and our love for him. Now, I know I might be sounding extreme in some of the things that I'm saying this morning, but I think it's biblical that after we are saved and made in a right standing with God through the blood of Christ— If we trust in Him, there is a way that we can live that is either pleasing to Him or that pains Him and is not pleasing to Him. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that God wasn't pleased by what was in my heart that day, where I was more excited about a worldly, temporal thing like a football game, when there is an eternal God that I could have been and should have been more excited about and living more for that day. And I've realized that the struggle. Of, not, of wanting to watch that football game and be more excited about that rather than digging into God's word is literally the definition of idolatry, is it not? Just a desire in my heart to do that more and be more excited about that, be more passionate about that. Church, we all have this constantly going on in our hearts. It is a deceptive idolatry, and I think it's killing us in ways that we don't see And I think that one of the reasons why there aren't more radical things happening for the Lord in our country and in our church is maybe because we are blind to our own idolatry and the depths that it goes. And so I ask this question again, is God pleased with how we are living our lives? I think that God is calling us to spend our days ever exceedingly more and more for him until he returns or calls us home. So let's pray and ask for his help. Father, I thank you for the blood-bought promise that is found in Christ, God, the promise of an eternity far better than anything that this world could ever offer us, God. But we are so lured and enticed by the things of this world and the desires of our hearts, God, and it is idolatry that we need to renounce. God, urgently we need to renounce it. We need to put it away. We need to run away from the idolatry that is ensnaring our hearts, God, and we need to run to you, We need to run to our personal time with you. And God, we need to run to obedience, to live out the great commission and spend time together and and obeying your word in other ways that your word calls us to. God, would you help us do this? We cannot do this on our own. God, we are too weak. I see my own heart and I am always being pulled by my own desires, God. It is only by the power of Christ in me that we can overcome idolatry, God. (laughs) Would you help us with that, God? I thank you for the forgiveness that is already found in Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen.